You're listening to These Are The Days. Hello and welcome back to These Are The Days, a podcast from me, Ronnie Costello. Uh, episode number six was very open. It was very honest. Uh, the respect I have for Barry is more than I could ever, ever put into words. Uh, he's an absolute stand-up guy and just coming on and opening up like that for a couple of hours is just you know, so much respect. As always, I can't thank you all enough for the nice comments about the episode, uh, people that sent private messages, offering words of support. It really is appreciated so, so much. Thank you for being part of the podcast, listening, subscribing and sharing every week. Uh, You can get us on Apple, Google and Spotify. You can stream or download on SoundCloud as well. If you can give us a rating or a view on Apple, it does help. We are also at The Day's Podcast. That is at The Day's Podcast on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And you can get full details on the website at www.thedayspodcast.com. These are the days. My guest this week is author Connor McAleese. He came into writing quite late in life, he only discovering a passion for fiction during the third year of his history degree. Since then, writing has demented him as much as has delighted him. But last year, he published his first novel about the woman who conquered Hitler, Eva Braun. In this episode, we'll hear about his journey, the challenges, the highs and the lows, and what the future holds for this writer. This is episode 7 of These Are The Days, Mr. Writer, with Connor McAleese. Follow the podcast on social media. We're at The Days Podcast on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Connor McAleese, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Nice to have you along. Hello. Uh, before we get to the main reason that you're here today, which is the book. Yes. And writing and yeah. everything else that goes with being a published author yeah that's right uh what was the journey like for you to get to here you are one of many that have come to dundee to study so how did how did all that work out for you well it actually happened because i failed a lot of stuff and i ended up here um not by choice i actually wanted to go to glasgow or strathclyde but i needed an a in my graded unit mhnc but i only got a b which I would just like to mention is because I did too much for my history essay and not enough for my psychology essay. So they said to me, you got all your points you get for history, but you didn't shut up. And then, so you were like three, four, 500 words over and it was just a waste of time, which if you'd put in, anyway, it doesn't matter. Everything happens for a reason. So I was then going to go to Cali um, and there's nothing wrong with Caledonian, but the course was more general than what I wanted to do. So I took a gap year and went to China, um, came back early and was just like, no, I'm just going to reapply. I'm going to put my SAS application in again and I'm going to pick different unis around Scotland. So it was definitely Scotland I was going to. Mm. And then Dundee said, you need your B. And I had it. Um, so did Aberdeen actually and Stirling. What were you looking to do? What were you looking to go and study at the time? I was all over the place. So it was just history. Okay. So I was going to do history and archaeology at Aberdeen. Yeah. History and psychology at Dundee. History and journalism at Stirling. I reapplied for Cali and I can't remember where I threw my other one at, probably University of West Scotland or somewhere stupid, yeah. but they accepted me right after school. So I wasn't going there. Um, so yeah, so I'd, I was just picking what I wanted to do with history yeah. and I chose psychology for some reason. And I'm assuming like I spoke about this on some of the other podcasts as well. And we spoke about careers and one of the one we'd done around the table the other week was 
what did what do we want to do when we were at school and are we doing it now? And none of us were doing it at the time. So I take it, was that just a phase when you were at school that it was history was just something that was the most interesting thing you were doing or something you really enjoyed? Or like I never got that. I studied more on studies because I wasn't the first to be dead people yep. and I couldn't care less where things were in the world. Right. But that was me <laughs> being very naive. And I went to moral studies and flunked it very well, let's just say, but the moral studies teacher was tidy. That's oh. that's that's all I'm going to say. Okay. But anyway, um, so, but for you, you obviously had this drive and determination that history was going to be a thing. Um, I think I've always enjoyed history, but it's always because I naturally got it. So, like I tried to do chemistry and biology because I thought chemistry was like potions and it was it was honestly the stupidest thing in the world, but I just never got it. Whereas even English, I never really got. Whereas history, I got it. If I was sitting in a class and you told me about the Russian Revolution, I could repeat to you what you told me um, in my way. So it took a bit of getting used to with essays and being critical and thinking about sources, but I could tell you the story of what you just told me and that's because it all just feels like stories to me. Um, and what I read in my spare time was always history, things like Marie Antoinette and the French Revolution and um, the Russian Revolution I really liked and everything kind of from like eight, 1789 to now, I was always really interested in. So I just kind of thought I'm good at history, I may as well go do history, um, but I didn't actually know what I was going to do with it. So when did you, when did you come up to Dundee? When, how long have you been 2011. here now? 2011. So you've been a good eight years now then? Oh, I'm a Dundonian now, yeah. apparently. Like, Adopted, through and through. really, I mean. Apart from I refuse to say circles. Because <laughs> it's the stupidest thing in the world. It's one of our things, though. Yeah, but not even, they're not even all circles. That's true. So it's, it's very, very stupid. true. It's very, very true. But I can forgive you that one, because yeah. Dundee's very beautiful. So when you, you've come up to do history, and I just said to you before we come on, you've jumped around that many courses. Do you just change your mind? Or do you just... Mm, 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 mm. No, just, so I'm done. No, so when I left high school, I left in fifth year because I was getting bullied and whatever else. It was horrible, um, and I just didn't want to be there. So I did an HNC in social sciences. So that gave me politics, psychology, sociology, history, um, and I loved that because I loved learning about loads of different things and finding where things connected and worked well together. Um, and I really liked psychology. I wanted to be. A forensic psychologist. I wanted to be that person that sits in a room with murderers, finds out what they did and rehabilitates them. That's what I wanted to be. Um, so I made myself sit through the human centipede and stuff like that because I'm like, well, you're going to see crime scene photos, Connor, so you better get used to it. Or I couldn't deal with it. Um, but that's what I wanted to do. But then history was always my kind of run through with it just because I got it and it was really interesting. I thought, well, I may as well. That's why all the things, all the unis that I applied to, it was history and something because the and something was always going to be what my career would turn out to be. Um, and I forgot your question. <laughs> it was, uh, it was you'd, uh, you'd kind of jumped about with um, courses. and Oh, that's just, not even stopped now. Yeah. So yeah, so I finished my degree um, and it ended up just being history because yeah. I was good at psychology in first year when it was multiple choice. But as soon as it started being essays and stuff, I was terrible. I've never failed an exam in my life ever. Just... I just never have, but that one I did because I couldn't answer a single question and I thought, I'm not meant to do this. But it was actually one of the best things that's ever happened to me because then I didn't want to repeat that module. I was like, no, I'm, this was second year. So my second year, second semester, I was like, I'm not redoing the psychology one. I'll just take the fail and I'll do, along with my three modules in semester two, I'll take a fourth. So I ended up doing a film one and 
Oh my God, international relations, which by the way was ridiculous. It was the stupidest thing in the world. Anyway, um, so yeah, so but history's always kind of been my run through with it. And I like, just like my HNC, I like learning lots of new things. Um, and then yeah, when I finished my degree, I took a year out to do my writing and then did a master's degree in writing and practice and study. And then that was all fabulous and lovely and got my book. And I'm just finishing a second master's degree now in history, which I hate. Uh, I honestly can't stand it. I despise it. It's horrible. In fact, I changed as many modules as I could change from history to English. It was like history, literature and blah, 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 because I hate it. I don't hate history, but I hate studying it. Um, and then I start my PhD in September and that's a bit horror. But I've never thought of it this way that you've just said before, actually. So no, I don't have a clue what's wrong with me and why I keep jumping from pillar to post. No, I mean, I think it's, it's one of these um, things that, some people are really driven and just focused on that's the one thing I'm doing. But like, I know people that have went to university and have done a certain course, but at the end of the course, just as they're maybe getting their degree, they end up going, you know what? I'm just going to go be a teacher with this. It's never been thought before. So they do that extra year and become a teacher, which is my, I think my sister done that. And if she didn't, I have thrown her under the bus in a made up way. But for you, you've maybe just had someone's just sparked for you to go, well, I quite like that. I'll go and try that, you know, and just had to change. And the same with education. We spoke, again, bringing up the previous podcast, we were talking about being in high school. You know, when you have to pick your subjects, you oh, go yeah. in the fifth year mm-hmm. and third year. And it's horrendous because it was basically, you can only pick two in this box. Yeah, but I like this two. That's what you have to pick. When it come to you and any uni courses, as an example, was it a case of like that one you've just mentioned? You thought... I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like this. So you changed them. Was it just because you had no interest or these were better for you for going forward? I think, well, my, I never wanted to be a writer when I was younger, like as I said. Um, so as soon as I chose writing is what I want to do and being a writer and writing books is how I want to make my contribution to the human race, um, is everything else is superfluous. I've just done stuff to keep myself busy, really. So that's, um, the first master's degree was purely because, um, it would make me better, it would make me a better writer. So that's why I did it. Um, and then this master's degree I'm doing just now is purely because I went through a bad time last year and I just thought I need something else to focus my mind on. Writing stopped being fun and I couldn't do it. And I was like, everything, every word I was putting on the page was, is this publishable? Who does it resonate with? And it's not fun that way. So I needed something to take my mind off it. But before that, I suppose, yeah, I was just... Because I did an HNC in radio as well, actually, um, which I never finished, because I never finished my documentary. But, um, yeah, no, I'm just one of these people that I see things that I like and I want to try it, and I love new experiences. And and I like... My big passion is I like seeing where things connect. So history and English is this really great relationship um, where they meet and where they touch, and I love stuff like that. So... Maybe that's what I was searching for more. Like you, you mentioned when you're on about new things and stuff, you mentioned you leave school in fifth year and go to China for a year. Like went to college, then went to China. Like yeah. what? I mean, yeah, no, I don't know why I did that either. I but, hated it. Yeah, but just just that get up and go. Like I imagine someone said to you, Do you fans go to China for a year? And you went, Yep, sign me up. I'm in. Oh, well, it was a wee bit different. It was, um, I worked in Starbucks in Brayhead for a long time when it was still a kiosk. It's now got a proper shop in Ladira. Um, and this girl, Jillian, um, no, she's actually a woman. Um, she had told me about this thing called Project Trust and she said I'd be really good for it. And I'm like, okay, I'll go do that. So I paid my £180 and you get to go and do like a um, selection course and they pick you if they think you're good enough to go. And it was up in call and it was lovely and it was fun. 
Um, and I was one of the ones that got picked and you got to choose where you wanted to go. And literally I only chose China because they had the best accommodation because mm. you didn't need to live in a hut. You got like a proper wee apartment and I was like, oh, excuse me. And I was like, okay, let's go there. Let's go do that. Yeah. I bet it's an experience. I mean, well, you, I got there and I absolutely hated it. It yeah. was awful. I left. How long were you there for? Well, I was maybe there a year. I was there three months. I was back before Christmas mm-hmm. left in August. It was it's actually weird now because see what you're seeing in the news now about the Uyghur people um, like millions of people being put in that concentration camp that was what it was like and I couldn't I couldn't deal with it it was the, everything was done in Chinese but because I was a teacher there everything was done in Chinese but the Uyghur people never got to learn Chinese um, until later on in their life and it was the way things were spoken about and it's a completely different culture so I'm not going to go into it too much but it made me really uncomfortable mm-hmm. and I could see parallels through other times in history and I was just like this isn't the place for me I'm not getting anything out of this so I do a lot of things but I'm also quite happy to walk away when it's no longer useful which not a bad thing to do because I think some people will keep doing it just for the sake of it a lot of the time well so- if I'd done that I wouldn't have got to Dundee because I wouldn't have reapplied so I'd have been I'd have went to Caledonia my whole life would be totally different yeah and again, you it's that moment of what if, which is... Well, yeah, no, you know. I do get that with that with Caledonian because I don't know what my life would be like. Mm. So we fast forward and oh, yeah. at, what, at what point does the... Uh, at what point are you studying, working and the the writing starts becoming something? When does that happen? Oh, so 2013, I started my first book on the 1st of October. Um, I... Hate, well, I never wanted to be a writer ever, and everyone has these fabulous stories about like I was writing books since I was five, and I wrote these <laughs> stories and blah de blah de blah. And I did like I wrote a story about Minotaur, like, like I got a page and I got bored and left it. Mm. Um, I won a wee competition in school, although they tried to give it to the other corner, but it was mine, so I got it about cat's claws killing a nightmare. That was the title of my wee story. Um, so it always had been part of, but I hadn't really appreciated it. Um, then I got a during history, I had a source analysis, right? This is the full story. So I was doing a source analysis. I'd done my presentation, so I knew what I was talking about. I was doing it. Um, this other boy was also handing it at the same time as me. And he didn't even look at the book till the day it was due because I had the book. So I know there was only one of them. So I know that he didn't do it till the day it was due because he messaged me going, can I get that book? And I'm like, no, I'm trying to finish my day. You can get it tomorrow. Handed it in. And I got a C1 and he got a B3. And I was, I was crying walking home because um, it was third year. And this was the, that was the second grade I got in third year. Third year is when it counts. And I got a C1 and I was crying on the phone to my gran. And I went, I hate this. What am I doing? Um, and then I spoke to her, my actual lecturer. And I said, look, what happened to you? And she said, I couldn't, I couldn't give you a higher grade than a C1 because your writing was terrible despite the fact I know what you know what you're talking about because you just done a presentation on it. I'd got an A for the presentation. And I went, that doesn't make any sense. Surely I'm here to learn. And she went, these are the rules. This is what I've done. And I went, well, I don't like that. So I left there and I just went, Can't, even though she told me my writing was shite, you am I allowed to swear? Mm-hmm. Oh, even though she told me my writing was shite, I was like, I'm going to be a writer and I'm going to make up my own rules and I'm going to just go and live in my own world and do my own thing and I'm going to be in charge of it. I mean, there is rules for writing, but you can ignore them when you know them. And I was like, I'm going to go and do this. And I've not looked back since, that's it. Mm-hmm. But it was literally, it, there was no thought up to it. It wasn't like I was planning a book. There was no book in me. It was, I walked into that office and I was a historian and I walked out and I was, I'm a writer now. And I don't know what happened in that room other than my devastation. But from that, I've wanted to be a writer. 
So you say the date that you start writing, you start your first whatever it was. Yeah. How was the experience the first time you, you said on that date, I'm starting writing? Was it was the it, best thing in the whole world. Yeah. The absolute best thing in the whole world. It was before you're anywhere near thinking about getting a book deal or everything's new and everything's fresh and you just think you're just going to walk into that book. You don't even think about it. You're just going to walk into it. And I just sat and I just got to begin. It was actually that first book that I started is, well, what connection, although that's not published, but it's been written like 17 times. Um, that was how it started. It was like this kind of dystopian Europe, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's completely different now, obviously. But it was the most freeing experience in my entire life. There was only one other time I remember being happier in my whole life. And that was when I'd kind of hit a stride with my writing and I knew what I was doing. But you're just totally uninhibited and free and you don't care. Everything's new and you just get to be. Are you old school pen and paper or are you... Oh, absolutely not. Who's old school pen and paper? Hey, you've got to ask that question. Oh, enough. See these people that say they're old school pen and paper? They're liars, okay? They are liars. Or they have this romantic idea of writing. Because... A, first of all, you're like doubling the amount of time it's going to take you to write a book and the book is going to take a long time to write. Um, B, when you're trying to edit it, you're going to rewrite it anyway, so it just makes no sense. And C, you're literally just doing it because you want that to be part of your story. And ed and writers are really good at like producing themselves and they're like, oh, when I'm sitting on David Letterman's couch, I can say, I hand wrote this novel and it was fabulous and I'm wonderful. And no. So you don't rip the page out, you just delete the file when it goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't delete anything. No, I keep it all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'm all tight, 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 tight. When you were in those the kind of early stages and you were saying you were a writer, how serious were you thinking you would be a writer? Or was this just, was it a, a pipe dream, a hobby that you enjoyed and you thought, we'll see what happens? Or Because like most things and songwriters and everything like that, there's going to be, there's going to be times a lot of stuff you write is no good. It doesn't flow or words, you know, words don't come out or it doesn't make any sense. So kind of how do you deal with stuff like that when it was happening? Well, that was that was the harder Like That's when writing stopped being fun and became, look, if you want to make something of this, then you need to start being serious and you need to learn the rules because you can totally break the rules 100%. But you need to learn them first. Otherwise, you're not making any sense. Um, and I hadn't appreciated that so much of what I was writing was going to be terrible. I thought, I could write a first draft that would be publishable and that's the stupidest thing in the world. Um, the, th the thing with you though, you've always had a confidence about you. I think whether it's a front yeah. sometimes or it's an overconfidence, but I think confidence is a great thing. I think when you start being overconfident to yourself, when you get the setback, it's harder because you've maybe, I mean, I, I've done it in loads of fields. You know, I'm confident in a lot of different situations but if I can get a wee bit too ahead of myself and I get something, it could be simple. It could be something that I could put a gig on back mm. in the day. And cause one of them was great, but see the next one. Cause it's, there's it, only a hundred people come. Don't speak to me for a week. Cause I'm so, I've took a real knock. You know what I mean? And then I start going, I'm not doing it again. You know, I've got out that phase a little, Yeah. but it could be the same as doing these podcasts that if I get too ahead of myself and go, there's going to be thousands listening and only a hundred listen, it would be like, I'm not doing it again. I don't do it for that reason, but you know what I mean? That kind of... Well, I think I believed I was going to be a writer in the same way that I believed I was going to be a forensic psychologist and that I've thought I was just at the start of that journey and that's mm -hmm. where I was going to go. Um, I do 
have a supreme amount of confidence and that's because that's my that's my defense mechanism like no matter what comes at me i'm just like well do you know what i know i'm absolutely amazing and it is a front a lot of the time but it's it's my defense and that's how i kind of work and get through life and i was that see that overconfidence thing a hundred percent that was me at the start um and maybe even a couple of years ago too a hundred percent and i just felt like i was but then it's weird because i still do think i'm I think it's t- it's taken longer than I wanted it to, um, and I've had a lot more setbacks than I initially appreciated that I was going to go through. Um, but I feel like that's when I said before about the happiest time in life was when I first started. The only other time was I was walking home from three where we both worked, um, and out of nowhere, and I've never had this before, and I, honestly, it's the closest thing I've ever felt to like a religious experience. And that sounds ridiculous, but. 100% it's not so I was walking home and it was sunny and I was sweaty and I'd just done three and three's blah 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 you know what three was like um hi Darren and out of nowhere just in to my very 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 core I knew that this is what I was going to be and that this was this was who I was was a writer so all the knockbacks and everything that's happened since and all the and the books that haven't been published and the rejection letters that have been numerous and the letdowns an agent wants it then they don't want it and then having to self-publish and all the rest of it um that's been my thread that's kept me going through it and it's just like well you're not the big i am right now and that's one of the things that i find hard is there's a lot of other people that are doing really well with their writing and who might be similar to my age and i get jealous because i'm a very jealous person um but the thing that gets me through it is i'm just like yeah because you've not you're not ready yet like I don't know if you ever watched Buffy, but I'm still cookie dough. I'm not baked yet. And as soon as I find my voice and what I'm going to be, then I'll be unstoppable. And- as a, there's not, not rules, rules written and unwritten rules for different things in life. But for you as a writer, do you tell yourself you have to write a certain amount of time every day or a certain amount of words? Or I know from speaking to, you know, um, people that do write songs or whatever, they'll say, I need to write at least a verse every day or a chorus every day or, you know, stand-up comedians will say, I need to write at least 10 jokes a day or something like that. Do you, do you have that or is it something you, you've done or you could do or have I just gave you a totally new idea? No, it's no, I used thanks. to do it. No, I used to do it. It used to be, I had to write four pages a day. Okay. Um, And that would usually work out about a thousand to fifteen hundred words, maybe a wee bit more. Um. Every time I sat down, it used to be about a thousand words would come out. Um, recently, though, ever since this book actually came out, um, I went through a wee difficult time and my writing is now lazy and it rarely happens. And I'm now the person that Stephen King warns you not to be. I'm that person that waits for inspiration to hit before I sit down and write, um, which is hard. But then... I'm doing uni and I'm doing this and I'm making excuses because I know there's people out there that have full-time jobs and families and still manage to write and I should do more but um, I don't write now but it was something I used to do and it's something I hopefully will get back to. So when, when you were doing it, when you're saying you're writing four pages a day, was it four pages on the on a book you were trying to write or was it just four pages of whatever? It could be it short was, stories, it could be... It, it was always a book, yeah. really. Um, short stories, I would that they would be as well as. So I'd need to write my four pages, and then I could write a short mm. story if I wanted to. Because um, I didn't, you. Well, I said I never really wrote them, but I did because there's loads on my blog, like there's hundreds. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it was always the book that I'm kind of focused on. Okay, so you get into this. You're getting into writing the book. Is this the 
obviously it's not as easy as there's my draft day, you're gonna you're gonna get it done. How long did it take you to finish the first kind of draft of what was the book that came out last year? So um, I like aborted like two different starts of it. The first draft of the book that's now been published was about two months. Mm-hmm. But there was like three drafts before that that I'd, I got like 30,000 words in and it was as the third person. And then I realised, oh yeah, you maybe need to be a bit more, it needs to be a first person book because it's a bit Eva Braun loving Hitler. Like you need to be in Eva's head to understand what's going on. You can't be in a, you can't be an outsider. Um, and so that was about two months. But that was because I was just sitting and writing it. Like I'd done my planning. I knew where I was going with it. Um, I sat and did it. But I would say maybe from the inception of the idea to that first draft being done was October to March. So like, was what's that, six months? Mm, about that, yeah. But that's when I was writing all the time. Yeah. So tell us, tell us about the process then of when you start the idea of writing the book, mm-hmm. you're getting through the book. Where does it come in to you find out how to get published, how to get it out there, how to speak to people? What's the, what's the process? Oh, so once your book's done, or you think it's done, because it's never done, um, is once you think it's done, then you start submitting your, um, you need to submit your first three chapters, a synopsis, which is the devil, and a cover letter to agents. Um, and I went through the 2018 Writers and Artists Year book, and every single agent that said they accepted historical fiction got a copy of this book. Um, And then if an agent likes it, which nobody did on mine, um, they ask for a full manuscript and then they decide if they want to take it further. And if they want to represent you, then they'll represent you. But then they need to try and sell it to a publisher. And then that's a whole other kettle of fish. But I never really got past that agent stage because, well, that's not how my story ended up coming published. How did did you find when the, the the rejections come in? You know, how hard was it? Or because it's maybe a first draft, does it make you go, you know what, maybe change this and change that? Or See, I've got, I've, the books I'd submitted before, um, because this wasn't the very first book I ever submitted. So the books I submitted before, I took them a lot harder. Um, But this one was quite easy to just say, well, of course we're going to reject it. Eva literally sucks Hitler's dick in this book. Like it's, it's, it's horrible. Um, so I knew it wasn't going to be everyone's cup of tea. Um, and so I knew that I was going to get that kind of rejection from it. So it was easier for that because I was like, well, it's maybe the subject matter they don't like as opposed to my writing. Um, and I never really tinkered with it that much. So you've mentioned the characters in a kind of wee bit. Tell us about the book. Tell us how it is in its published form right now. Oh, so um, it's about Eva Braun during World War Two. Um, so it starts in 1939 on the day that war is declared um, and it's about her journey through the war because um, a lot of people don't, you know Eva Braun's name but you don't know much about her um, and it's about essentially her descent into madness with Hitler um, and her relationship with him and how she ended up wielding this tremendous amount of power in his private sphere but still was powerless in her own life Um so it's about her descent into madness. And how was the kind of research of it? Because it's quite, it's very niche. It's very, this is the character I'm writing about. How, what was that phase like? The devil. Yeah. The absolute devil. Because um, this was actually born because every, I was only going to do a wee 3,000 word former portfolio for the Masters um, scene of Eva. 
so I wanted to do my research. I wanted to find out, okay, what, what part we're going to write about. And every male historian I could find said she was an apolitical, asexual nobody. And that, that didn't ring true in my head. I went, how can, how can she be a nobody? Someone referred to her as a war mistress. And I'm like, but she met him in 1929. Like, so what happened between those 10 years, between 1929 and 1939? Um, everyone just wrote her off as this nobody. And I think that kind of got my back up a wee bit. And I was like, well, she can't be. Don't tell me she's a no-. That doesn't make any sense. So I did as Angela Lambert and Thomas Lundmark were the books I used the most. Um, they were amazing. And yeah, like Christmas Day, I was sitting doing my research for it. Um, I set it out by year. So what did she do in 1939? What did she do in 1940? And so on and so on. And then I built the story up around that. Um, so everything bar two or three things is completely accurate where she was, who was with her, um, the people in it are all factually correct. Um, and anything that's not, I put at the end and say, I changed these dates for this reason. I moved this for this part of the narrative. Um, but there's you know so little about her that I w- was given a lot of free reign, which is why I always refer to her as my Eva, um, because I deliberately sidestepped some very huge issues, obviously, um, because they're terrible, terrible people. Um, and that was the hardest bit, trying to give nuance, because your characters need it in life to people that you yourself actually don't like. When it, when you, you you said your story was a bit different how it got published, so what what happens there for it to because it is now on shelves? Oh so. well, yeah. So um, so this actually make this sounds better than it actually was. Um, it sounds like the dream, but it's not. So, but it is, it is, it is, it is. I should just be appreciative of it. But my gran was sick to death of me talking about it. She was sick of hearing me being upset about agents. From the minute I wrote the book, she said, "Connor, self-publish that book. Stop it. Self-publish it. Pack it in." And I was like, "No, no. I want, I want the traditional publishing road, and I want this, and I want that, and then blah, 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 blah." Did you um, have a diva moment? By oh, a hundred percent. Of course, I did. Ugh. I was like, why don't these people recognise my brilliance, darling? Um, so she just went, Connor, I'm sick of it. Publish it. Put it out there. Move on. Start the next one. You're just at the start of your journey. Just get it out. So I did. I designed the cover, which I'm very proud of. Um, edited it. Did everything myself. Um, put it out. It was self-published on January 28th of last year, 2018. And within about three weeks, um, my friend Joe, who had done the Masters with, tagged me in this publisher's tweet about they were looking for um, short stories for their anthology. Um, and she tagged me and I said, yes, I'm going to apply to them. I'm going to write a short story. And I got a tweet saying, we've just sort of written a book and we love it. And I was like, okay, thanks. Uh, okay, appreciate it. And she's like, no, no what's your email address? We need to get in touch. And I was like, okay. So I sent an email. She was like, we want to publish this book. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it's only been three weeks. Are you, are you for real? Um, So just sorry to jump in, but when you say, um, you've self published it, is that just in digital format? Yeah, so I'm going to publish it on Amazon. Like, I didn't faff about any of these margins and how to get it as a paper copy. But you got it, you you got it out there, which is the, the first thing to do. Oh yeah, it was on Amazon. Anyone could buy it. Yeah. Um, and I then, sold quite a few copies myself, which was quite cool. And then three weeks later, so pick that up again. So you get... Oh yeah, the, so they get in touch with me and they say, um, we want it for our catalogue. We want, we want your book. And I'm like, have it. And they're like, no, no, okay, we want it, blah, blah, let's talk. And I'm like, no, no, just have it. Have it. It's yours. It's You do what you want with it. You want, you're a publisher and you're going to sign me. Go for it. 
And um, so we spoke about terms and all the rest of it. And how did you how did you find that side of things? Because it was hard. You you and you're you're an artist. You're a you're an author, a creative, all this. So you've done the book. You've done a bit of the. You've dabbled in the design of how it's going to look. You've done the end notes. You've done all this, and then it comes to the business side of stuff, which you're. You're in the business side of it for to make it a career, but when it comes to this whole negotiation, was it a bit like <sighs> every every book on how to be a writer will say you need to be a business person and a writer? Mm-hmm. Every single one does. And do you want? Know yeah, you cannot probably need to do, but I just don't care. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just don't. I just want to sit and write and spend the rest of my life doing it. Um, so that bit was hard, but. I was very lucky because it's Dark Ink Press that my book's published with um, and the terms they gave me were better than what you would get with any because they're an independent publisher and it's run by authors um, so it's not one of the big ones but I mean you'll find most places especially in Scotland like Kranich and Publishing and Berlin and stuff they're all quite independent that's how you get your books out and that's most of the books that we read um, and so they gave me what I wanted essentially that I would have asked for Um and it was reasonable and they said they were going to do this, this and this and they wanted me to do that and that and I said okay and then I signed my first book deal and it was, I mean... So when that then happens, how long was it till you you got a copy, the actual copy in your hand? So the traditional publishing way usually takes a bit longer than this but because I'd edited it myself so thoroughly because I was going to self-publish it so I did a lot more editing on it than you would naturally because you would give it to someone else wouldn't you so kind of usually that's how it works like when your publisher takes it on they put it through their editor and their editor makes suggestions which is exactly what happened in this case too I was just really fortunate that the editor loved it and didn't really want they changed I made mistakes in grammar I made mistakes with punctuation and stuff like that and they changed that but the actual story itself I mean, I've heard stories of authors and it's very common. The publisher wants the whole ending changed or they want this. And I was, I was fortunate they didn't want that with me. Um, so I got the book in the end of... It was published on the 5th of June. I got it just at the end of May. So not, not long before. No, so it's February to me. Yeah. Yeah. And then they they're obviously taking over the distribution of it where you can get it and stuff. And I know you you um I remember looking back, you were you were there was a bit of a was it a book event, a launch event that you, you oh, kinda yeah. do as well, which is it's kinda it's a cool thing to do. So super cool. Tell us about that. Oh, that was with um, the Book House and Money Feath. They're a wee independent bookshop um, and they have very close relations with Sheena MacDonald. She's actually an author herself, but she works for Dark Ink Press over here, that's part of the UK department. Um and she was like the book house will do it um, they're really reasonable with how much they want per book that's sold as well um, and I was very fortunate in that the amount of people that got tickets for it was more than what the book house could hold so we got to go to the Money Feath Golf Club and do it there so that felt pretty cool um, but it was, on, it was, it was my first kind of author moment because obviously I started in 2013 that was 2018 five years is not a long time a lot of people spend a lot longer but it felt like forever to me um, and so that was like my like my jizz moment I was like this is it this is this is what I was doing this for um, so it was amazing it was how when you got the book yeah. how did it feel 
and you were just handed the book and it, it was now to life. You know, it's different. It's not, I mean, I'm, I've got friends of mine who will tell, who will argue to the blue in the face. They say, oh no, I, I couldn't buy a Kindle book. I have to buy a book. I wouldn't buy an Audible. I have to buy a physical book. I, on the other hand, I'll buy wherever it's cheaper. Yeah. I've got books here. I've got loads on Kindle and I don't mind. I, I do like the feel of physical book. Don't get me wrong, but I will buy the cheapest book. So for you as the author, uh-huh. who is very much in the new age of technology and being under 30 and as as iPhone, Android, knows all that, uh-huh. to get the physical book, how did it feel any different or was it just, I'm selling that? Well, I think, me as a reader, I personally prefer a physical book, but only because I like to read before I go to sleep and I don't, the whole reason I read before I go to sleep is sure I'm not staring at my phone and it doesn't keep me up in blue light and all the rest of it. Um, so I like having a physical book. Um, but the reason that it felt so special to me getting the physical copy was purely because when I'd self-published it, which it felt good putting out into the world, but hadn't felt like an achievement because you can self-publish anything. Um, which is not to say that it's not, I mean, it is a very good industry to be in if you want total creative control over everything. Um, it's amazing. But when I would tell people in the book, they're like, oh, where can I buy it? And I'm just like, oh, just on Amazon. And it's just for your Kindle. And my friend Stephanie had made a comment about it not being a real book. And I was like, it is a real book. So it kind of took away from it a wee bit. So when I finally got the physical copy, I was like, yes, this is my book. Mm-hmm. And my name was in the front of it. And the first thing I did was put it on my bookshelf. So it was sitting next to people like Stephen King and um, Philippa Gregory, who I absolutely adore, um, and Alison Weir and all these authors, Marion Keys. Oh, I love her. So my book was next to their books on the thing. And so it felt amazing for like 10 minutes. And then I start looking at it and I instantly start to become critical over why is that there? What's But that's just because you do now need to think, right, I need to start selling this now. Um, people need to buy it. Well, how does it compare to the other books that are next to me? Because um, if you look at my book, the way that it's printed on the inside was very deliberately chosen to be very... The lines are very, very big. It's a very claustrophobic book. It only really happens in the Berkhoff. Um, it's very dark subject matter. And so I wanted there to be space on the page. And this sounds dead meta. And I don't mean it to be. I wanted it to be space on the page to breathe. Um, so when you look at my book, it doesn't look like a lot of other books. There's big, big gaps. And for some people that can be hard to read. And I start second guessing myself. Is that the right thing? Was that? So it was good for 10 minutes. When you were at the event, to launch the book yeah were you the type that once that event was over it was like yes that this is it or were you like right on to the next one because i think a lot of creatives get like that like when a band submit an album mm-hmm. they tend to start on the next album then they'll tour and do other stuff but it's a you know no break they just go right on were you kind of the same or were you trying to i'm going to ride the crest of this wave because i've not sold that book yet people are just at this event and then just uh, go no, I think that I'm very aware of the fact that this isn't my breakout book. Like, this isn't the book that's going to make me who I become. Um, so I was just very grateful to have that event and I felt amazing about it. Um, and I wanted to start writing a different book, but also I was just starting a second master. So there was other things going on. So maybe didn't give it the total attention I could have given it, but I was just quite happy that I'd done it. And for me, it felt like, Weightlifter off? 
Ah, uh, because I yeah. felt there was a lot of feelings of failure before, especially with all the rejections, and I don't deal well with it. It brings me down quite a lot. So this was me going, I have a physical published, but I will forever be a published author. Like that will never stop happening. That. Um, that That is now part of my identity. And I got to do that event and people loved it and people read it and reviews and stuff. Um, and I always knew that I don't need to rush this just now. Um there will be other, and I've done other events since, and I'm just, I've just kind of breathed with it, really. One thing we haven't actually mentioned is the book's title. Oh, The Goose Mistress. Yeah. Oh, by Connor McAleese. I was expecting that to be in the SoundCloud or the podcast title, so I was like, oh, it'll be fine. I don't need to mention <laughs> it, but yeah, it's called The Goose Mistress. And uh, if people want to buy the book, the physical book, mm-hmm. where can they get it? Um... You can buy it on Amazon. That's probably, like you were saying, about the cheapest as well. Um, you can either buy it in paper or digital copy on Amazon. Um, if you're on Prime, you'll get it the day after. Um, you can also buy it. It'll be in Watersons and Dundee, hopefully soon. Hopefully. And these are all things that get in having this publisher is, is kind of what you, you need. Well, yeah, because if you want to get into Watersons, I think you need to have a distributor. And my publisher is an American publisher, so I didn't actually realise I had a distributor in the UK, but I do, Ingram. Um, and my publisher actually going through, the lady that runs it is going through a very dark, there's a lot of things going on just now, so things have slowed down a wee bit. Um, but she's been in touch with the like the Watersons in Dundee, um, and hopefully it'll get put through Ingram. Mm-hmm. You can do like, a, you can fill in a community sheet thing. Pam Turner, who's also on um Dark Ink Press, she just done an event there recently. Um, I forgot your question. It was just where can I buy the book and what the um, oh, yeah. what so, the people can do. So Amazon's the best place, but Amazon's always the best place. One thing, like you say, it's you can buy the book digital or you can get it into the, the paperback mm-hmm. and you will always be a published author. Yeah. Which is a huge thing. And Well, you can also get it in the book house and money fee. There you go. Yes, yeah, that's kind of what I was leading you into. Hopefully, oh, oops, you'd say. Sorry. <laughs> but for that, like you say, you're always going to be that published author. Yeah. And the same story you get, and you've mentioned it as well, that authors will write. They'll write all the time. They'll have these books, and sometimes when you finish the book, it's five years before it's even released. Okay, so it's you know obviously if you're doing a potted history of 2009, it's a wee bit of date now. We don't really care. Aye. So you've done this really really nailed it down to a certain person at a certain mm-hmm. time and whatever. What's next for you? What are you doing now? And tell us a bit about the PhD that you're doing. Okay. Yeah. No. So now, so I've always, got, I'm always going to have the goose mistress. Um, and one of the big things that I keep getting told is that it's very easily translatable into odd um, visual format. So things like uh, Netflix and BBC and all that kind of stuff. So, Although it's not happening just now, in my head I'm always like, I'm always going to have that book that I can bring to the table. But that's something that can on. happen in ten years' time. But that's it because Handmaid's Tale has only just started becoming a big thing. There you go. Um, so I'm very proud of the Goose Mistress, but I will not be doing another historical fiction novel for a very long time because the amount of research you have to do to make it good is inordinate, um, and it's probably one of the reasons I've stopped writing as much as I do. Um, I'm very much now into thrillers and horrors. Um, for somebody that says they didn't write very much, I wrote a thriller last year just before I started this um, Masters set in Dundee. Um, so that's there and I've actually sent it to the publisher um, and she's looking over it and seeing what she thinks because I took months to send it to her because I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, so for now, um, I would quite like to get an agent and I'd quite like to get 
a publishing deal through an agent. Um, I'm very lucky because the publisher loves everything I write. Um, when she's doing anthologies, I send her a short story, she sticks it in. Um, so I've kind of got, for the books that are meant to go to that publisher, I know I've got somewhere that they're going to have a home. Um, for ones that maybe aren't for that publisher, like maybe wouldn't fit in with their catalogue, um, I'm just the same as everybody else. I need to kind of go through what I'm going through. So I've started writing a book um, about um, this murder in Arkansas. Um, this uh, woman lives in New York and she's like a private investigator, but she's not a private investigator. She's literally, she has no money. She doesn't know what else to do. She's done like a couple of jobs for cheating wives and cheating husbands in Manhattan um, because she has a friend that did it and she took on one of the jobs. She gets this package delivered to her address, um, to her apartment. Um, it's so weird because I'm writing in American, so it's all mommy and gas. Yes. Um, so she gets this package to her apartment with a book in it and a note saying, come now, please. Um, and she reads about this murder and um, this guy was killed outside this bar and his husband has been put in jail for it since 2002. But it doesn't really make sense. So she doesn't know who's hired her. Um, but she was given a check for $25,000. She cashed it. It went through and she's like, well, I need to go do it now because I've cashed it. Um, and then she flies to Arkansas and it's about her trying to figure out A, who hired her, B, why they hired her, and C, who actually murdered this guy. Um, With, without going into too much detail, yeah. where do these characters come from? Where, where have you picked these up? Has this been something you've read? You've maybe turned on its head or well I think that the or is this just the creative thing that comes out one day you're writing mm, I think I, the twist at the end was what kind of drove this book so I know the twist at the end of it is what made me think right well how did I get to that point yes okay um, for this one but I think the main character her name's Abigail um, Abigail Grace Farmer um, she I love Marion Keys. like Marion Keys is my favourite author ever hands down mm -hmm. can't touch her she wrote um, a book called The Mystery of Mercy Close and it was part of the Walsh family and it's Helen Walsh and she was always my favourite Walsh sister um, and she does private investigating but she's actually good at it like she properly does it so I drew a lot of inspiration from that type of character um, but a lot of books tend to be private investigators or detectives or so although I've had to do that kind of make her that she's very much at the start of her career so she's not very good at it and she doesn't really know what she's doing um, and this is her very first murder case, which is kind of why she's wanting to do it as well, because it's like a big one. Um, so the character, this one, I'm drawn a lot from Helen Walsh, but also me just not really having a clue what I'm doing with writing, really. Like, you think you do it one way, then you change, and you're doing a different genre, and everyone keeps telling me, you're going to find a genre, and you're going to stick to it. And I'm like, I don't think I'm going to, but okay. So she's got a bit of me in it. Um, and then the other character's, I don't know. I'm good at characters, I feel, because because I think, well, what makes this person different? Why does anyone care about this person? And then they get personalities, and I think the Goose Mistress was good for that, and that I had to give personalities to these really horrible people. So if you can talk about Hitler taking a nap and liking his dog, you can make a character up for anybody because you know how to put life into them. Yeah. So, But I'm still finding characters and still... I don't know who this Abbey Farmer is yet, really. Still very young in the, the written career. You know, like we said, it's a... Well, my baby, 100%. <laughs> and I don't appreciate that a lot of the time because yeah. I compare myself to a lot of, like, Victoria Aveyard and um, oh, the Scottish one who wrote these short stories that are going crazy everywhere. can't remember. Anyway, um, and I'm like, oh, they're doing really well and I'm doing crap. But it's not. That's an unfair thing to say. But I feel like I'm doing crap compared. For, for yourself, do you see yourself as a an author that'll 
settle down over 10 years to certain types of books or genres or are you right now because right you've got the goose mistress and then you've got this one and they're two very very different stories are you going to be somebody like that that will always chop and change or well I you might find your niche and you'll nail it but. i want like a stephen king-esque career in that he can he'll write his horror and he's known for horror but then he writes a green mile or then he writes a shawshank redemption and i don't want to be forced in any one box just quite yet I don't know if I'm going to find a rhythm that really suits but I don't I would rather not be um, I don't want to be like Chandler's mum and friends where she's like all you need is a half a dozen European cities um, like 30 euphemisms for a penis and then you've got yourself a book I don't want to be that formulaic um, I want to always be excited in what I'm doing and this is hopefully what this PhD is going to bring because it's all about um, um I'll give you the full title. Okay. So it's about how horror represents the cultural anxieties of a post-counterculture something I can't remember it. But anyway, basically it's about how horror in the 1970s through 1971, 1976 um represents what people were scared of post-counterculture. So things like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre being like a um parody of the nuclear family and the exorcist being um finding solace in Catholicism, um, whereas things like the omen is Catholicism bringing about this kind of big bad and it's I need to go and do more research this is very much just train of consciousness thought but um, I would hope that I don't just find one genre and become bored and everyone knows what the next Conor McAleese book is going to be um, but a big part of writing is you don't sell a lot of your first book you don't sell a lot of your second book third book fifth book and then you start to become bigger because when someone finds a book they love they start reading your back catalogue like I did with Marianne Keys Um so I'm putting myself at a disadvantage, but oh well. If we meet up in a year's time, what's what's the next twelve months got in store? Where would you like to be in twelve months? To be honest, I don't really plan to change a lot in the next three years. Like I, my goal is to do this PhD. Give us do- three years, then. Where where are you going to be in three years? What's happening? Oh well, hopefully. At the end of the next three years, I will have... Will you be 30? I'll just add that in. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'll, I will I'll be a doctor. I'll be Dr. Conor McAleese, which would be quite cool um, if I do the PhD well. And I really just want to be... I want to have books. I'm not pressuring myself into being like, I want... I'm a published author now. I have a book. It's been published. And I'm just going to let that rest and just let it sit where it is. I want to have books that I'm really proud of. Um, and I want a kind of a head start so that when hopefully at the end of these three years I will be closer to having an agent and maybe even having one um, but I want to be three books ahead so that when it comes to right we're going to publish this one what's your next one oh I've already got another two so that I'll always have this breathing space to just write what I want to write and not be focused and trapped in a deadline so in the next three years I'm probably just going to be exactly like this but a doctor somehow I think one thing I've I've really taken from this chat is Knowing you as I have over the years and how outgoing and confident you can be and whether it's on the surface and knowing how rejection doesn't go down well with you. Mm. But to be, to come through it and just go, no, I'm I'm going to get something published. I'm going to get a book published. And obviously rejection's a horrible thing. It doesn't matter what it's in. It doesn't matter if you ask someone out and they reject you or you put a book in the reject. It, it's horrible either way. But to be that determined to get the book out and then not just go, that's it, published author, I'm done. And it doesn't sell 10 million copies because already you know that this is the journey that you should be on. You know, I've said countless times to people, 
This podcast is not to make money. This podcast is for real people to come on and tell their story. And at times I'll sit around a table with three other people and we'll just talk about random subjects and try and make it entertaining. The subject, the people that we've had on have had a story. You just told us about being a published author, about the book, about the challenges with the book. Barry's been on told us all about his life and how he, at one point, it was it was ready to be over and his sons gave him a new look on that. My uncle come on and told us all about his life in the army. My mate come on and told us all about his life and the troubles he's got because his, his son's got cerebral palsy. And we broke all that up with Emma coming on and we spoke about drunk texts, Tinder and dick pics. People have all got the story to tell and every one of them is really different. And that's why I love kind of doing this. You know, if an episode gets 100 listeners, it's fucking amazing to me. You know what I mean? But I'll always keep doing it. You know, even if someone tells me it's a lot of shite, I'll just keep doing it. You know what I mean? And you need to keep doing that because there's a gift in there that's, it's on a shelf someplace in your house, Mm. in uh, Amazon places, it's in bookshops. And if you walk in, it's on a Watterson shelf, where a lot of them are, right? There's loads and loads of books, but to see it in there, whether it's two years time and you've already got your next book to go, it's a whole lifetime you've got. And you just keep writing. So between now and next year, how much writing are you going to do? A lot more than has happened over the past year um, because I have, it all going back to that moment I spoke about before when I just knew that this is what I'm supposed to do, um, that I do just want to keep writing. And I think I want to write a lot more short stories and kind of get things put into magazines and, um, and kind of start building up that confidence again with like proper acceptances really um but a lot more writing because i do want to it's just about trying to find my voice and well i think i'm exactly the same as what you're saying like even if it never had and i'm fortunate because the industry i'm in is not about age in fact most people don't properly get any kind of start until they're in like their late 30s early 40s so i'm like 10 years away from anything to do with that so i'm very fortunate in that I can write a book and if it doesn't sell, nobody's going to care about it. And I can write another book and if it doesn't sell, nobody's going to care about it. And I can write another book and if it doesn't sell, nobody's going to care. They'll only care when that book comes that will sell and does start making money. So I'm not put, I'm not any further back by putting a book out. I'm only moving forward and finding who I want to be as a writer, really. So yeah, the next year is going to be a lot more writing. I want to write this book that I was talking about because I want to get to that twist and actually do kind of care about this Abbey Farmer um, and I want to write more horror because that's the type of stuff I, I don't like a happy ending um, I like this dark and macabre and yeah so a lot more writing I need to try and get into some type of routine to be fair Connor this has been a pleasure to hear all about um, I am fabulous I know thank you a real passion that you've you know, you've really kept with I think a lot of people get hobbies that they kind of fall in and out of love of. You know, people write, like I say, songs or poems and they kind of just give it up and go. But you've got a real push at this and I, I hope the self-publishing is one step you've done. But I, th- I would hope that when you've seen the actual book, you go, yeah, that's that's it for me. This has been a pleasure, mate. I've really enjoyed this, to hear your story. Thanks. Um, you know, I heard I was always on the outside of hearing about it and seeing you post about it and how proud you are of it, which I yeah. think is something you have to be. 
for every person that tells you it's rubbish, there's 10 people that think it's amazing. And that's, that's the only way I, I always look at stuff. Um, that is a good book. And I know it's a good book. And I've had people tell me it's a good book, but I know this is a good book. It's just a hard book to swallow. So you should go out and buy it. It's basically what we're saying. Well, if you want to, it's a completely different type of reading experience. It's going to challenge you. And I think the big thing about it challenging you is that you need to be challenged because right now, if you look at, I'm not getting into politics or whatever else, but the bad guy isn't the monster under the bed. And we kind of villainize rightly Hitler to be this horrible person, but we have this image of him. And you need to remember that bad people can be vegetarians and like dogs and go for naps and read young adult novels. And that might be the only side they you, they show you, but that doesn't mean they're not really horrible bad people. Um, and that's kind of what this book gives you. Um, and also it's about women being present and forward in history. And I genuinely believe, hand on my heart, that if Eva Braun hadn't been there, the war would have ended years sooner because Hitler was going do lally, like completely and utterly mental. But Eva was his safe space and that gave him time to recuperate and rest and get his strength back. And that is both a horrible and weirdly awesome not awesome in the positive sense but like in the wow sense that Eva had that role and men were still calling her an apolitically sexual nobody Conor McAleese it's been a pleasure thank you very much if you enjoyed this episode please tell your friends about it and leave a review or a rating if you didn't then let's never speak of it again these are the days